Happy Mother's Day to the mothers that are here. Uh, and as I address the camera, happy Mom's Day to my own mom. Uh, she's watching from South Africa this morning. And her day just got infinitely better because she got to see my face. Hello, Mom. Love you. Miss you. Uh, now, I realize my mom would probably also be the first one to point out that I have a face for radio. Um, but I know she loves me, and so I want to return that. Uh, you know, today is Mother's Day, and, and without kind of dwelling too long on there, I know that for many of us, a, a day like today includes feasting. Uh, and, and I hope that for those mothers in the room present, uh, I really hope and pray that at some point in the day, uh, there is a meal included for you of which you didn't have to cook and that you don't have to clean up afterwards. I, I hope your family treats you in some way. Uh, I know that, as Jen said, Mother's Day for some people is a difficult day. And so if that is your uh, reality where perhaps it's not as a blessed day in that sense, I still pray and hope that in some sense there will be a moment of blessing today that you will get to enjoy. Uh, the reason I kind of talk about food and talk about feasting uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been preaching a series called Taste and See. And really, it's a focus on the invitation that God gives us to taste and see the goodness of God. And to realize that there is this, this joy, this pleasure that we experience in God. And He invites us into this, and He invites us into feasting. And maybe that's why food is such a, a good analogy for us, because we all enjoy good food. Uh, we enjoy those times in life where there's reason to celebrate, where there's reason to gather together as friends or as family. And so, yes, for some people, Mother's Day is one of those days. You're going to enjoy uh, some feast. Perhaps it's a, a birthday or a milestone uh, in someone's life. Maybe it's a holiday like Christmas. You know, I still have fond memories as a child. Uh, we lived quite far from the rest of our extended family. And so every now and then, we would gather for a family Christmas. And, and they were just awesome because you would have all this family around. And remember, in South Africa, the hemispheres are different. So Christmas is summer, uh, as it should be. And so Christmas dinner is, is barbecue and it's swimming pools and, and you just, the whole family's there and you're eating and you're having fun and then after the meal, you know, the kids are outside playing, the, the parents are chatting and, and then obviously as you go up in the age bracket, they're having a nap, uh, you know, and it's just this family together. But it's the feast that brings us together. Uh, when we gather, we, we feast by way of memory and remembering. In fact, that's part of why on Sunday the 28th we're having a church-wide potluck after church. Uh, and I really encourage, I invite all of you, make sure you're here. There will be plenty of food. Yes, we want you to bring, um, but I know that for some people that's a challenge. doesn't matter. There will be food enough for you. Come and join us as we feast together and as we celebrate on the goodness of God. You know, I think part of why we do this is because God himself commands us to feast. God himself commands that his children, that his followers, that his people eat together. And when we read through the Old Testament, there are a number of feasts that God commands the children of Israel. And the reason he commands those feasts is because they're not simply a feast, but they're a point to remember something and then to look ahead. 
So this morning, I want to pause and, and just briefly consider three of the main feasts in the Old Testament, kind of have a look at what they were, what they point to, uh, and then I want to end off with that ultimate invitation of Jesus Christ, that we are invited into this great feast that God has prepared for us, and that we get to join in with Him. And I pray that you will accept that invitation this morning. You know, in, in Colossians chapter 2, when Paul is speaking about these Old Testament feasts, uh, Paul is, is reminding the church, he's reminding the Christians that as we are in this, this season, this gospel, now that Christ has come and we've received the gospel, we don't need to follow those feasts as law. And so Paul's kind of pointing out we don't have to follow them to be good Christians, but what Paul is saying is those feasts were a pointer to something in the future. Those feasts were important for us to remember and reflect on because they spoke about something to come. In fact, another way of looking at them, those feasts were a shadow. You know, when you, when you see someone's shadow, it gives you a very rough glimpse as to what they might look like. It might give you some features. It's not a perfect image, not by a long stretch, but it gives you a glimpse of what they look like. And so this is what Paul is saying of these feasts. They're a shadow of what is to come. And there's a story in them. And as we, as we look at those feasts, we begin to see the image of the coming Christ within them, his person and his work. That, that's what Paul points out in Colossians, that there is shadow of Christ and that we get to respond to them. Now, you might ask, okay, what are those three feasts? Well, Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, summarizes for us. Deuteronomy 16, verse 16 says, Three times in a year, all the people must appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, and at the feast of booths. And you must not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So there's the feast of unleavened bread, the feast of weeks, and the feast of booths or tabernacles. And some of you might go, well, Brian, aren't you including the Passover in there? Well, yes, we'll get onto that. Uh, but all three of those feasts relate to the Passover. They find the Passover as the starting point, and then they build from there. And these are the feasts that the Israelites were instructed to follow. So very briefly, let's have a look at them. The first one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the details for us in this are found in Leviticus 23, uh, verses 5 and 6. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. Then on the 15th day of the same month, there is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Bread, that is a bread without the yeast that hasn't risen. The Feast of Unleavened Bread begins the day after the Passover. Remember, the Passover brings to mind the remembrance of the, the blood of the Lamb that spared the nation of Israel. And if you had the blood of the Lamb on the mantle of your doorframe, so the angel of death would pass over the house. And so there's this Passover feast, the reminder of God's protection and God's salvation for the nation of Israel from Egypt. 
And, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was meant to be a reminder that there was such a rush to get out of Egypt that the Israelites didn't even have time to create yeast and, and create leaven that they could put into their bread and have the risen bread. No, it was this thin uh, kind of like cracker type bread that they had to rush to make that in haste would feed them for the next few days of the initial journey. But of course, we might go, okay, well, what does the Feast of Unleavened Bread show us? Like, yeah, we could spend a whole lot of time looking at the intricacies of it, but what does it show us? Well, the Apostle Paul answers that question in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul speaks about the purity of the Christian life. And Paul equates it to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Paul actually says this, he says, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see, just as the Passover shadowed the deliverance from spiritual death by the spilt blood of the sacrificed Lamb of God, who is Jesus, so the Feast of Unleavened Bread shadows and it gives a foretaste of the Christians partaking in this new life in Christ, where we're invited into a place of, of truth instead of wickedness and malice. And just as the Israelites during that feast have to purge all leaven from their house, so if we were doing that today, you would have to go through your closets and throw out any yeast or any leaven, anything that might be a leavening agent. And that's what they do. And it's the reminder for us of throwing out that wickedness, throwing out that evil, and being, coming back to that place of purity in Christ. So that's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The second feast that God commands his, his disciples to follow, sorry, his children of Israel, was the Feast of Weeks. And it's called the Feast of Weeks. It's found in Leviticus 23, verse 15 to 16. Because Moses said the feast was supposed to start seven complete Sabbaths or seven complete weeks after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So in 50 days after the Passover, they were to follow that feast. Now we know that day, 50 days after the Passover, as the day of Pentecost which, by the way, is the 28th of May, when we finish our Taste and See series. And when we gather for that feast together, that's Pentecost Sunday. Now, Pe Pentecost was the reminder of the law given on Mount Sinai. It was the day when, uh, from the day that Israel went out from Egypt to the day that they received the law on Mount Sinai was 50 days. It was that reminder of God giving the law to the Israelites. Of course, the, the Feast of Weeks, as you read through Scripture, does occasionally have another name, uh, and that's the Feast of Harvest of the First Fruits. It's a feast that was celebrated at the beginning of the wheat harvest in Israel. Now, we might read that Feast of Weeks and go, okay, well, what does that mean for us? What do I do with this? What does this point to? Well, of course, it's one of our key dates in our Christian calendar, the day of Pentecost. 
And just as how in the Old Testament it was the day when the law was given, for us in the church it's a reminder, and it could be argued, it's the day of the birth of the church. When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in the upper room on that day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit came upon each of them, and they began to proclaim the gospel. And Peter gets up and preaches. And Peter links that, hey, you all knew the old covenant. You all knew the Old Testament law. Well, I'm here to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the launch. It was the birth of the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth in to all the nations. In fact, it's what Jesus prophesied about. Jesus speaks about it in Luke 24. Jesus says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Therefore, that... Feast of Weeks, or or that Pentecost was a shadow of the giving of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we gather together to celebrate Pentecost, yes, we remember the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples. We celebrate that fact of the Holy Spirit given, which is what Jesus promised. But it reminds us this was the day when the gospel began in the church to go out. And we go and we proclaim The gospel. The third feast that the Israelites are commanded is the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, depending on what translation. And we read of the details of this one in Leviticus 23, verse 34. And basically, uh, the details of the Feast of Booths was to gather in the harvest, and as you gather in the harvest, make temporary accommodations for yourself. Use branches, use cloths, and make temporary accommodations and live out in these shelters for seven days. There are still devout Jews who do this all over the world, who might set up some sort of makeshift lean-to in their yard or out on the sidewalk or whatever, and they'll stay in that booth for seven days. And part of why they do that is not because this feast is kind of like a feast, Really, for many in the nation of Israel, this is the feast. This is the the most important one, or, or, or certainly the most popular one. It was the one that came with great joy. It was great celebration. Yes, people were celebrating the harvest. They were celebrating the goodness of God coming in. And, and as they gathered this bounty and this goodness of God, and they were reminding themselves of the provision of God but also the protection of God. And the reason they did that was because it reminded them of the Exodus journey. That time when God rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, and as he led them out into the wilderness, he didn't just lead them out and leave them. He went with them, and he provided food for them, and he provided uh, protection for them. And so it's a time of joy to to remind ourselves, or or they would remind themselves of that time they had to depend on God for their daily needs as they were on that pilgrimage from Egypt to the promised land in Canaan. But what does this feast shadow? If I start reading about this feast of booths, what does it mean for me? Well, during the 40 years that the the Israelites trekked across the desert wilderness of Sinai, they were pilgrims moving and seeking the promised land. 
They lived in makeshift tents or branch shelters rather than houses because they were journeying to their permanent home. They were seeking their homeland. This is what Peter echoes in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter talks about the church as being a holy nation, but then he goes on and he says, we are aliens and strangers. Peter is saying, you who are in Christ, you who are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are an alien and a stranger. And what he means by that and what we need to remind ourselves of is, this is not our homeland. This place that we live, this place in which we inhabit, uh, this place we find ourselves and we call it home, this is now homeland. We're here for, for a blink of the eye. Some of us might be blessed to get a few more blinks in than others, but, but this is a temporary home. This is not the promised land. And so this reminder of going out and staying in a booth and staying out like having a camp out, it's not just for fun. It's to remind ourselves that we are not home. Paul echoes this in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body, and I will finally get a face fit for TV. Paul reminds us, we live as pilgrims. This isn't home. Stop trying to make this home. Stop trying to amass. Stop trying to accrue. Stop trying to build bigger and better. It's going to fade. It's going to rust. It's going to wear out. And so God commands his people, celebrate this feast to remind yourselves. That this is not home. There is a far better home that awaits us. There is a far better place that awaits us. The presence of God at that great and incredible feast that we will celebrate with Him. And when we began this series, uh, Pastor Jennifer spoke from Luke chapter 14, the great banquet. And it's this incredible image all through Scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament. This reminder that we are invited into this feast with our Heavenly Father. I don't know exactly what that looks like and what that means, but I know based on the imagery that it's going to be amazing. It's a feast I want to go to. It's a party that I'm invited to, and I can't wait to get to that party. We're invited into this place and this feast. You know, as... We look at those three Old Testament feasts and what they point to. I'm reminded that Jesus continued. You know, those feasts pointed to Christ. And Christ said, yes, they were in me. But Christ himself pointed ahead. And he pointed to the Father. You know, in, in John chapter 13, as Jesus shares his final meal, the final Passover with his disciples... The gospel accounts record for us that Jesus said to his disciples, I've eagerly desired to share this meal with you because I'm not going to eat it again until I eat it with you in heaven or in that presence of God in his and our eternal kingdom. And so he's, he's desired this meal, but the disciples are confused. In fact, the disciples are concerned. 
with what Jesus is saying. And I love how in, in John chapter 14, in fact, we read that, uh, Carl read it for us right at the beginning. In John chapter 14, Jesus knows their concern. He knows their worries. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And you know the place. So you know the way to the place where I'm going. I have no idea what that house looks like. But I'm reminded of Audio Adrenaline's song. I think it came out like in the late 80s or the early 90s, My Father's House. And don't worry, I'm not singing. I sang last week. It's a one and done. But in that song, it's just this powerful imagery of my father's house. is this great big house with this, this huge yard where we can play and run. This huge table where we can share and gather. This, this incredible place filled with people from all over. All walks, all cultures, all nations. People worshiping together and people gathered together with our heavenly Father who loves us and who's prepared this place for us. That's what Jesus says. I've prepared the place. And we might go, well, how has he prepared the place? You know, we might kind of have that image of, well, maybe he's there and he's busy building and, you know, he's just realized, oh, Brian's just become a Christian. Now I've got to add a room and... And now his kids have turned to Christ. I've got to add some extra rooms. No, Jesus already knows that. There's already plenty of space. That's, that's done. When Jesus says, I've prepared, what Jesus is saying is, through my death and my resurrection, the way to that house is sorted. It's prepared. It's done. And you receive that invitation when you receive me by faith. And when you do that, you're accepted into this incredible feast. This feast with our heavenly Father. Prepared and ready. And then Jesus says, And when I come back, I will come back and bring you personally to the place you belong. Now, I, I know that our minds wrestle with that. How's that going to look like? What, what does that mean for the, for the now and for the future? What does that mean for if somebody passes away now and, and I only pass away then? I, and, and you know what? I go, it's a good thing I'm not God. Because I know God's got it sorted out. All I know is that there will come a day when Jesus will come for me and take me to my father's house where there is a feast like I could never imagine waiting and ready for me to celebrate with everyone. My brothers and sisters, you're invited to that feast. Now, I, I pray and hope that you've accepted that invitation and you're reminded today of just what awaits and it leads you to worship. But maybe you're sitting there going, you know, I don't think I've ever accepted that invitation of life in Jesus Christ. Don't let a day go by. Don't let today pass you by by saying, I reject that invitation. Receive that gift of life by faith in Jesus Christ and join in the greatest feast you will ever, ever know. Let's pray together.
Oh God, as I think of that incredible feast, my, my mind struggles to truly comprehend. I, I can only piece together little glimpses of parties I've been to and celebrations I've seen and kind of use my imagination and I know that even then it's just a shadow of something that would something that will be so glorious so incredible so amazing that it will lead us to worship to fall on our knees before you and to say thank you oh god Thank you, God, that you instruct your people, your nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and now we, your church, you've instructed us to reflect and remember by feasting. And so, God, I pray that when we gather as family and as friends, whether to celebrate a Mother's Day or to celebrate a birthday or whatever else, remind us that that table, that moment... It's just a glimpse and a foreshadow of what's coming. Jesus, I thank you that you have prepared the way to your Father's house. There is nothing we can do. It's already been done through you on the cross. And the invitation is extended to us to receive the gift of life by faith in you, Jesus. And so, God, I pray for those this morning who perhaps have never made that declaration and decision and I pray this morning they would indeed declare Jesus Christ as Lord and they would yield their lives to you and father as we reflect on the Old Testament feasts that pointed ahead to Christ and our lives in Christ God I pray that we would also see how you use those to point to you and that we would come to you Thank you, God, for your word to us. Thank you for that invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.